Ah, uh, yes, friends. On a Monday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast. I'm your host, Adam Marbeck, also covering the Brooklyn Nets over on the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy, Doug Norrie, surging three and three record over the last six games here after they make that big trade. But that's not why you're here. You're here for all the New York football giants conversations that we're going to get into along the way, including what feels like um, a somewhat crucial moment here. Free agency is going to be officially starting when offers can be made and deals can be done on the 16th of March. But ahead of that, we have the combine, obviously, for all that rookie class coming in and then some meetings, some opportunities, as Andy alluded to last week for executives and GMs to maybe hash out some of the details around these potential moves. And the Giants have some big decisions to make, or specifically Joe Shane has big decisions to make to find ways to free up some cap space for this team as they head towards that free agency date. And then even the draft class in behind it. So we're going to break down some of that and offer a scenario where the New York football giants do not go offensive line in the first round of this draft. Not saying it's my ideal version of things, but I think there is a path that gets you there and you have to at least be willing as Andy and I have talked about going over the last couple of seasons, willing to look at the landscape of free agency of the draft and, and where the franchise is and say, everything cannot be fixed in one day. You can't just go out and do one clean sweep and say, boom, we're a playoff team again. Let's hit the ground running. It doesn't mean that there aren't the the more preferred scenarios, whether on this podcast or by Giants fans in general, but there are opportunities here or at least scenarios where things go a little bit differently than maybe we're all anticipating. So we will get to that. The other little footnote, though, is it just came out the slate of teams that will be hosting games over sees this upcoming season which would include the green bay packers and also the jacksonville jaguars worth noting because the new york football giants are away against the green bay packers and the jacksonville jaguars in the upcoming season so some potential that the giants could be a part of that scenario playing either uh, both games over in london either at tottenham hotspur stadium or wembley stadium depending on which opponent it could be potentially and i think obviously When you're turning over a new year, you probably prefer not to have to do travel like that when you're a new head coach, new GM, don't want to have to deal with that scenario, but it's becoming a a growing part of the NFL, obviously more and more year by year. I think they listed Germany is going to be up there as well. Mexico going to be a part of the destinations too. So uh, if the Giants have to walk down that road, it's interesting because I was just thinking, first of all, dependent on whether or not Aaron Rodgers is playing for the Green Bay Packers changes your perception of that team. But even if it is Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, I think you'd say, well, we'll take our chances going over to London as an away team, not going to Lambeau Field and just having the Green Bay Packers deal with travel and some of those issues like we're going to have to deal with. Right. You effectively take it to a neutral site. So everyone has to have a little bit of an uncomfortable and an unfamiliar scenario going over there. The Jacksonville Jaguars, on the other hand, because they're a young team, a developing team. We know they have Trevor Lawrence. It almost feels like I'd be fine going down to Jacksonville to play them early in the season or whatever point along the way that it happens. But going over, then it feels like it pulls us down (laughs) and it makes our version of that week leading up to the game a little bit different. So listen, hopefully it doesn't happen for the Giants. If it does, though, you live with it, you deal with it, and then you see how it shakes out on the field. But it's interesting to think 
the way in which it can change for both teams. And then, of course, if you're a home team that loses one of those games in that particular season, that can be a rough one. Although, again, how these play out and who gets labeled home and away goes out the window once that happens. That being the case, let's talk about the the combine going on right now. This is where really interesting, as we talked about the top of the draft before, the best player available, you know, you can go by a thousand different charts here, but if you head over just even on ESPN, which is a big stopping point for a lot, a lot of NFL football fans, they have Hutchinson, Neal, uh, Hamilton, obviously the big safety out of Notre Dame, Ikuonu, uh there out of NC State, followed by cornerback Gardner, actually ahead by a few spots of Stingley Jr. out of LSU. In between them there, Nicobe Dean, the inside linebacker out of Georgia, and then Thibodeau, seventh overall, on the big board out of Oregon, the edge rusher that has been speculated a possible a target for the New York football giants and one the Giants fans are already starting to salivate over. But what makes it interesting is with the Giants picking at seven, five and seven, is there a scenario where they would not go with an offensive lineman at picks five or seven? And again, it's not just them actively choosing not to pick there but a scenario that could play out at the top of the draft that forces them into a difficult spot. One of the things we're not going to put into this mix here is the opportunity for a trade down. It's been talked about that. Obviously uh, Joe Shane said he'd be willing to listen to any trade down offers, but they have to come in order to be listened to and possibly make a move down the board. Here's the way it starts. And we kind of walk through these things a step-by-step here to lay out how the giants could approach free agency as that comes up here on the 16th and the way it would have a trickle-down effect impacting what they do on draft day. Step one would be Giants trade James Bradbury. As we know, James Bradbury is going to be making $21.8 million in the upcoming season. They can clear $12.1 in cap space by trading him, taking a dead cap hit of $9.7 million. In behind this is a couple of factors. One, we know that Wink Martindale and the style of his defense may not be best suited for James Bradbury. We know that uh, the Giants would love to maximize the value of this player, seeing how much he counts against the cap here, and he still is a, a viable player on the market. Anywhere in that you know, three, four, fourth-round range would certainly be a pick that they get back. But they have to deal with the, the fact that teams kind of know that they'd like to move him. So does it diminish the value on what you could get on the market for him? Ultimately, Joe Shane has come out and said restructuring and kicking the can down the road isn't something that he that he wants to do. Now, Dave Gettleman had said that as well and then did exactly that thing time and time and again here. That's, you know, we won't put Dave Gettleman's flaws onto Joe Shane. But if we take Shane at his word, then restructuring and extending or doing anything with the contract for Bradbury and, and putting some more money onto next year and reducing the cap hit this year doesn't seem like a likely scenario. And freeing up that $12.1 million in cap savings means you can hit the free agent market saying, okay, now we have something to play with here in the short term. And we already talked about last week, Andy and I debated, I won, but we had a discussion where I tried to explain to Andy why the Giants need to trade Saquon Barkley. And if you assume that that's in the wings as well, now you're talking about in just two moves, You've gotten yourself upwards of $20 million in cap room to head into free agency and make some moves and know that subsequent pieces can fall in and behind it. So if scenario and they move off of him, now you're sitting there with an opportunity. How you choose to approach free agency will be interesting. 
I think when you look ahead to the NFL draft, it's all well and good to say we want Neil to be there. We want Equonu to be there. We want Cross to be there. These are all guys that we're going to touch on here in a little bit. Or we want uh, Linderbaum, even if it's a, a reach to take him in the top 10 because he might be a top 10 talent, but you don't take centers that early in the draft, but there's no tradeback scenarios, et cetera, et cetera. But loading up with, you know, a clean sweep, five and seven, let's take both of our, let's take both offensive linemen there. And then at 36, let's take an offensive lineman and be done with it. The things that I think have to be going on here in the background is the assessment of how the New York football giants feel about the free agent market, who they could target, and also the current players on their roster. And even though we assume Nick Gates is not going to be on this roster, I'm not going to go into the possibility of him making a somewhat miraculous recovery from a devastating leg injury. But if you think about a player like Shane Lemieux, He's a fifth-round pick. He certainly showed you something in his rookie year, suffers the injury this past season. Has the Giants staff come in, looked at tape, gone back to how they profiled him coming out of the draft and said, yeah, I think this was a really good prospect and he could certainly develop. Now, to what level you think he's going to play, the short term of just saying, we can go we can go another year with Shane Lemieux healthy playing at left guard. You think about Billy Price, who the the Giants' previous regime traded for. I I, I put it very low level that he's a part of this rotation going forward, shy of being a backup center, still a young player, former first-rounder. But the sample size we got on him last year was up and down, hit or miss, and I think you'd say low-level consistency. Maybe he'd be better if you had better pieces around him. And then you get to, obviously, maybe the last and biggest one, and that's Matt Pert. Here's a guy who, in his rookie year, being a third-round draft pick, flashed in this rotational role at right tackle. I think he played, you know, even got in on the guard action at some points there. And you said, Hey, maybe it's going to take a little time to develop him, but it looks like we got something here. He follows that up with an absolutely disastrous 2021 season where the regression was almost staggering. And in a year when you had Nick Gates go down and you had Lemieux go down and you had Will Hernandez playing like Will Hernandez, and you're bringing in Bredesen, and you're bringing in Billy Price, all, all these guys, you're bringing in so many different players. Matt Pert couldn't find his way there. The Giants chose to go with Nate Solder. I mean, it was shocking. It was shocking, and Andy had painted that picture coming into the season last year saying there is a scenario where Nate Solder start, starts for this team. And he wasn't saying he wanted it to be the case, but just that it was possible, and it turned out to be true. Is Matt Pert done? Does, does this regime come in and say these young players are either capable of developing and being talented pieces that we could work with to whatever degree, backups or otherwise, or are we looking to really clean the slate here? I, that plays a, the first factor here as you approach free agency and you make your decisions around how much do we need to go do here? What are the other positions of need beyond the offensive line? And where do we think the value is here, whether on defense or on the offensive side? So that's phase one of this. Do they move off of James Bradbury? Do they free up this cap room? I'm putting Saquon Barkley into that mix with this and saying, now we have money to go pursue someone. When they do that, the phase two of this would be giant sign offensive line help in free agency. And when we're thinking about those players and who could be available, three came to mind here for me to different degrees of commitment that the Giants may want to pursue. The first of which is going to be right in the same stadium, so wouldn't even have to travel very far. And that's Morgan Moses, who played for the Jets last season, projected over on a spot track for a $7.7 million average annual contract. 
And if you go inside his numbers, he played over a thousand snaps last year for the Jets, gave up just four sacks and three penalties, 71 PFF grade. That would slot in there right behind Andrew Thomas as far as the best performing offensive lineman for the New York football giants. He's obviously a veteran. We understand drafted back in 2014 by the now Washington commanders in the third round, but he offers two things for you, a level of, of consistency and a level of versatility because the reason why he'll probably be available is we obviously know the mountain of the man on the left side there who had some injuries for the Jets will be back. And then on the other side, they had Fanta they brought in as well. So Morgan Moses rotated a little bit, played at some guard initially, then due to injury, kicked out to the tackle. So you could go out and sign a player like Morgan Moses and bring him in understanding. We have you pegged to start at guard or tackle, depending on how the draft unfolds here. And and if we end up taking an offensive lineman early in the draft and you get into camp and it feels like, say, a Konu does fall in this in this scenario, we're saying he won't, but say he does, and now you bring him in and you go, okay, if that's the case, and a Konu has been speculated as, again, one of those prospects that could be very effective at tackle or absolutely dominant if you moved him to the inside to guard. Okay, let's see how camp plays out. Now, all of a sudden, we pair you there on the right side of the line, and we have our guard-tackle combination. Again, short-term, veteran experience, and at under $8 million, it's certainly a viable option, even if you, let's put the pause on Saquon Barkley. All you do is move off of James Bradbury. You now have money to go into free agency and say, let's bring in some level of reliability for this offensive line so we don't put ourselves pigeonholed in the draft to say we need to go make this move. Another player that I want to bring up is uh, going to be over from the recently uh, championship LA Rams. And that's Austin Corbett. The reason why you bring it up is because maybe double T there on the Corbett um, is that he is a player who played again, a thousand snaps. He comes in at just 26, going to be 27 in the upcoming season, played a guard for them, two penalties, three sacks allowed played to a near 69 PFF grade. And because the Rams are looking at what are they going to do with Aaron Donald? What are you going to do with Von Miller? What are the other areas? Odell Beckham is a question mark here, right? They made a lot of moves, gave up a lot of capital. They are right up against it in terms of of bringing players back and trying to run it back one more time. But something's going to sacrifice here. So if you can get into that conversation on a player like this, he's projected to be going for an $8.7 million a year contract, which again, very reasonable this and and at his age though unlike Moses you'd be saying here's a guy that we can plug in and say on a three or four year deal we're going to go ahead and secure our right guard or left guard we're going to secure a guard spot for our team and know that then we can supplement it in the draft and in free agency over the next couple of seasons to finish building out this line but consistency and reliability is really what you're looking for here. And if we dial back through his time, he was a 71 rating playing over 1100 snaps in 2020 and in 2019. However, in a smaller sample size, just 541 snaps had a disastrous grade there taking four penalties, one sack allowed, but he was in the mix there, not obviously playing full time. So you have two years back to back here for a player uh, like Corbett showing you that he has a consistent sample size. If we just back it up briefly here to Moses, since we're doing it with Corbett as well, 2020, he played to an 80 in 2019. He played to a 65 in 2018. He played to a 64 in 2017. He played to a 67. So he's risen a couple of times here, but the bottom line is there is a level of consistency and I'll, I'll, I'll liken it to the Kevin Zeitler move 
Now, he looked absolutely uh, phenomenal for the Baltimore Ravens, but I'll put him into that group of saying consistency and reliability, and then when you put some other pieces around them, all of a sudden they get more consistent for you as well. The last guy that we'll bring up here in free agency and certainly a more um, speculative name to throw out there would be from the Dallas Cowboys, obviously division rival, and that's Connor Williams. He's the youngest player out of this group at just 24 years old. We know that they have their own cap issues there in Dallas. They have to think about what they're going to do with Cooper. You have the wide receivers to consider. Obviously, depending on where the money gets allocated, you're going to find yourselves having to let someone go. And, and, in Connor Williams case specifically, he is the guy that when you look over at his PFF grade, you do kind of get into this murky one where you say took 15 penalties over 948 snaps, which is one sack allowed. The interesting piece, though, is he still played to a 76 PFF grade. So for all of the negatives of not being able to reach out and grab and, and you know put himself in a bad spot and ultimately put the offense in a bad spot, if you can clean up those bad plays all of a sudden you have the best rated prospect the youngest prospect and arguably a guy that you think could be anchoring your team for years to come along a young offensive line i guess the one difference you would look at is saying remember andrew thomas will be coming up in another year or two for his contract and just when and where do you want to spend the money but theoretically putting a player like williams on the books who played to a 71 the year prior and only took four penalties and gave up four sacks by the way after having a a young and developing 2019 season where again, six penalties, only one sack allowed. It's the penalties. It's the consistency. And he seemed like he took a really big step back this past season with those 15. But if you could get him on the books for a big number right now, and you need a little bit more than what you're getting just off of moving James Bradbury, all of a sudden though, you'd be saying, okay, so for the next two seasons, we're paying him big money. Then we'll start to get ready to fold in Andrew Thomas. Then another two years behind that, some of our young draft picks. And oh, by the way, in the background, as the Dallas Cowboys have done, you're constantly bringing in more young talent through the draft to prepare to eventually move on from any number of these players. Connor Williams, one contract, four-year deal. At 28 years old, he hits the market. If he's played phenomenally for the Giants, he's looking to get a big payday. That's great. Maybe you bring him back, et cetera. But this would be, again, big splash big dollar amount if that's what it ends up being on the market. But should Joe Shane and the Giants consider the idea of bringing in a young, incredibly talented player that if they believe in their coaching staff, if we can get rid of the penalties here, and those sometimes come down to mental issues, not about ability on the field. If we can we can clean those up, we've got ourselves a stud guard to put on this offensive line along with Andrew Thomas. So those are just three of the names that they could look to add. And the bottom line being, because there's different degrees to this, I'm giving what I'll call somewhat high-profile names on the free agent market. I don't think that the Giants go to free agency and they look at and bring in some veteran offensive linemen, you know, a, a tier above the Bredesons of the world or the Matt Skurs who were cut before the Giants brought him in. But he's a little bit better than that, but essentially saying this is a stopgap and hopefully we can replace and give competition through the draft and maybe not even have this guy as a starter for us, but ultimately put him as an experience backup to help build this offensive line and the young talent as they start their NFL careers. If they're going to do that, then it doesn't prohibit them from anything they want to do in the draft. But if they go and make a move like this on one of these players, now it can shift your perspective a little bit. And as we've said this before on the podcast, it shifts the sense of necessity to go do a very specific thing when you get to the draft. 
putting yourself in a, in a in a situation of desperation that if we don't go get an offensive lineman here in, the, in at five or seven, boy, are we in a world of hurt because now we know we need to go do it at 36. And what happened to the board there? And do we need to move up a little bit? And now are we trading away assets to make sure we go secure one more offensive lineman? That is more of a desperate move, a panic move, and I don't think that Joe Shane wants to be approaching this draft that way. So to whatever degree, whatever degree or ever dollar amount they're going to be willing to move in those waters of free agency, these are three viable options. And if I had to give my take on it right now, understanding that I think Connor Williams might be a little bit out of reach, Morgan Moses would be a really smart veteran short-term fix to bring in some stability on this line. Then we turn our attention over to the NFL draft where we speculate. What if the top two prospects are off the board at five? Now that combined with whatever you've done in free agency, as far as the offensive line goes, but understanding that you've moved off of James Bradbury, you've created a hole here. And Andy brought this up last week too, just because you free up the money by moving off of James Bradbury, it doesn't, it's not just a win. You still have to turn around and replace that production at that position. And while he may not be a scheme fit, now you got to go find me. Find me a lockdown corner that can play in man coverage along with Adoree Jackson because we know Wink Martindale wants to put pressure on the quarterback, wants to throw a lot of bodies and leave his outside defenders on an island against their uh, respective receivers. So in the scenario where we look at the top of this draft, and I highlighted it there before, you have Neil there second overall on the big board. Aquonu is fourth overall on the big board. You talk about a player like Cross, who by this big board, if we just take a quick scan through here, is going to be a little bit further down the list. And by a little bit, I'm getting myself all the way down to the 22nd overall prospect. This is where the combine plays a big factor here, right? Because a lot of these guys can either rise or solidify what their value is. One of the knocks, as we walk through this first and foremost, Let's just say that Evan Neal and Aquonu were gone as you come up on the fifth overall pick. Now, in that scenario, you would assume that a guy like Thibodeau is going to be there for you because other teams ahead of you that potentially could have been looking at one of the edge rushers, they haven't gone that route, right? Maybe it's going to be the New York Jets at four that, are, that is looking at a player like that instead of going maybe into the safety room, as some people have speculated they could, maybe into the cornerback room, whatever, however they may look to address their needs. If all of a sudden both of those top offensive linemen are gone and the Giants are sitting at five, right now, I would be hard-pressed to say take Cross at five or, or even at seven potentially. Now, can he improve some things for me when he comes into the combine? Of course he can. But when we talk about the limitations of it, I just want to run through where his weaknesses are. Uh, desired athleticism. So we're talking about running RPOs, talking about getting out on the edge. Think about a player like Will Hernandez, not comparing these two guys apples to apples, but Will Hernandez was a guy that struggled with mobility and being a pulling guard, being a pulling lineman that needs to swing out, get in front, grab some blocks and get the running back to the next level or set the edge so that Daniel Jones, at least in the short term, is going to be able to get on the outside and look to get the ball downfield or use his legs. So there's a concern there with that. Finding his positioning, reaching out for blocks at some times, average feet, an upper seal for on, the, on the side for the linebacker level and struggles with the inside recovery against slants. So all this to say, he's a player that they regard to be good in, in pass blocking, not as sharp in the run blocking aspect of his game. All right. But when you also talk about comparables as they laid out here, they mentioned Tristan Wirfs. 
And Tristan Wirfs, heck of a player, right? We talked about it. I think Andy was Andy wanted him going back to that draft class. But remember the difference of playing in front of a QB like Tom Brady versus playing in front of a Daniel Jones or a mobile quarterback in general. The skill set applies differently based on what you need to accomplish in front of a quarterback like Tom Brady, who's, who's not mobile, who's going to stay in the pocket, he's going to shift around, and all he needs is time to be bought for him to have opportunities to look downfield. Again, I'm not telling you that cross can't be the selection at five or seven. I'm just saying at this point right now, I would need to see things. Not unlike what Tristan work can show you over the con. I need to see things at the combine from cross in order to say, yes, he's worth taking in the top 10 understanding that I may have already accomplished something on my offensive line through free agency. The next piece of it is then too. We have that glaring hole when we talk about James Bradbury being traded off. So if at five, Thibodeau is there, locking in, we've got an edge rusher guy to get pressure. At that point, you still haven't addressed the opening on the cornerback spot, and you have to be thinking about if our best prospects aren't there for the line, we can do one of two things. We can we talked about this. Go with Linderbaum. We can trade back if the offer is there, but if it isn't, we have to make a pick at seven now. Linderbaum is considered to be a middle, you know, a top 10 talent, but considered to be middle back end of the first round because of the position he plays. Me personally, if I had gone out and signed Moses in free agency, I'd love the idea of getting Linderbaum at seven after getting Thibodeau at five. But knowing that I need to have fill a need, knowing the Giants are going to need to fill a need at the cornerback spot, you start to look around the board. You look at a couple of different players here, right? First one, at least by uh, the ESPN's big board, is going to be Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati. He's listed ahead of Stingley out of LSU at this point. He's a 6'2", 6'3", cornerback, 200 pounds, long and lean. Uh, Listen, you can play him on the outside, obviously. He has the physical presence, um, and he allowed just 6.6 yards per reception in 2021, according to Pro Football Focus. He has everything, right? Going to need to get a little bit bigger. Again, when you hit up some of the weaknesses, I said 6'2", 6'3", just 200 pounds. So he doesn't necessarily have the big body to go, big body height-wise, but big body from a physicality standpoint to go at and challenge and jam outside wide receivers at the line of scrimmage, bump them off their route, disrupt their timing, and give the edge rushers a chance to get home against the quarterback. Those are things that I want to see him do a little bit better at. And then also he's referred to as a little bit of a catch and drag tackler as in trailing, get caught in behind it and then grabbing and pulling down after the fact, these are all things that, you know, you're going to work your way through as the combine rules. I'm going to give a quote on these next three guys, cornerback. And we're also going to touch on, of course, the big safety out of Notre Dame. I see. Stingley going before him said one NFC uh, scout for a team. So a little debate here around the way the board lays out, but he's developing really quickly. And I like how he doesn't give receivers any breathing room when he plays in press. These are attributes that Wink Martindale wants to have on the outside for his cornerbacks. And certainly this is a kid. If you know me on the offensive side of the ball too, I like long lean wide receivers that have some burst and you know can go up and challenge, take things over the top. I like having, length at my cornerback position provided that their hip quickness and their twitch and being able to rotate and get upfield with the receivers is strong enough. I just love having the size because you can't do anything more than your height allows you to do timing, all those things, being able to leap and get up and challenge the ball. But when you're going up against six, two, six, three, six, four wide receivers, it doesn't hurt when you're playing eyeball to eyeball to them off the line of scrimmage. The next player would be of course, Stingley there who 
go with the quote here first just to get it off the top. He's so much bigger than people realize. I think he played too heavy in 2020, but his best pro weight is going to be around 205, and he's still really fast at that weight. That's coming out of an AFC scout taking a look at him. The reason why you like him is because even though he's not enormous at the height, 6'1 still though, so he has enough enough height to play on the outside and challenge the wide receivers out there. As you hear him mention, he played at 195 in college, going to need to put on a little bit of weight at the pro level. At that point, he is what Gardner might not be physical really plays bigger than his six, one stature may say, and has all the same traits of being able to challenge one-on-one on on an Island on the outside and get the job done. Are the giants willing to spend a top 10 draft pick on cornerback? I think you have to be willing to, right? We already know where Adore Jackson's contract's going to be. And we already know that we're a few years away on Xavier McKinney needing to get paid. And there's some speculation that Logan Ryan would be one of the candidates to be moved this off season as well, simply from a dollars and cents standpoint, either one of these players I'd be happy with. I'd be fine. If they took them, I'd be fine. If this scenario played out and they went with Thibodeau and cornerback X, but before we close out that scenario, we have to talk about someone that obviously a lot of Giants fans have discussed, and that is going to be Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame. The reason being, the guy's an absolute monster. We talked about some of the other ones just real quick here. When you're looking over the the uh, big board available players, I mentioned to Kobe Dean there at six overall, the inside linebacker. I'm not hesitating on it. It's just more of a Wait and see. What is that going to look like? He's a little bit smaller, plays at 225 at the linebacker spot. You're talking about wide receivers like Drake London out of USC and Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State being there. I don't see the Giants going anywhere near those waters, barring some scenario where they moved off of Kenny Galladay, and that seems highly unlikely given the cap ramifications, at least in the short term. Look for that post-June 1 on him. So that being the case, you're now finding yourself, and I didn't even mention Trent Duff, uh, McDuffie, who could also be in there as well. 12th overall, third in the prospect ranks at cornerback. But the reason why I mentioned the inside linebacker and what the Giants could do here, it, it would seem counterintuitive to only bolster one side of the ball at the top of the draft. However, if you believe that the 6'4", 220-pound safety who could do just about everything for you down the middle of your field. And the reason why I say that is I'll bring up the quote at the back end of this one as well, who says really great kid needs to love the weight room a little bit more. So get on a couple extra pounds, maybe of muscle there, but he is going to keep getting bigger. I wouldn't play him at linebacker because I think that actually limits his impact. He's a better pure talent than Arizona Cardinals linebacker, Isaiah Simmons, when he was coming out. So the reason why I bring him up is because Andy and I talked about him last week and said, it's just really hard for me to look at the safety position and say, I'm going to invest a top end draft asset at the safety position because it already makes you put putting in a bit of a a substantial price tag at that spot. And you know, you're going to have to pay him down the road. Do I think that there's a world where I could wrap my head around this a little bit better if the Giants maybe potentially moved Xavier McKinney, as sacrilege as that may sound, understanding the type of player that Wink Martindale wants to fit into his system? I think that McKinney obviously can fill that role, but the uniqueness of a player like Kyle Hamilton is that he can play at the deep safety spot. Now he's big at 6'4", and he's going to play 225 by the time it's all said and done. You're going to worry about the hip twitch being a little bit tighter there, having a difficult time picking up wide receivers when you when you bring cornerback blitzes potentially. No one is a perfect prospect. 
But the fact that he can go from playing deep safety, supporting in the run, and then coming down into the box and playing a pseudo linebacker role for you, that's versatility. And that is where you start to check a box and a half or two boxes of needs on the defensive side of the ball. So if in a world that the New York Giants get Thibodeau at five and they have an edge rusher to add with Aziz Ojolari, and you're thinking about other ways that you can save money here in the offseason, which could include Blake Martinez, now you have to think about how do we make sure that we still put some players in there in the middle of this uh, defensive unit to be able to have success. Versatility, flexibility, and certainly the skill set that tells you he can do a number of different things for you at a few different levels of the defense. We'll see how these guys perform. Every single person that we listed here, based on how they perform at the combine, this is not where you, you know, to me, I don't think you can, I don't think you should be able to fall out of, you know, the top 10 and plummet to the second round, barring some catastrophe. And that's where I do think that the combine can be a little bit over, you know, over conflated. They were talking, I think about Matt Coral and saying that, oh, no, no, Kenny Pickett. They're talking about Kenny Pickett and how, why didn't he have his hands measured before the combine? Well, he's double jointed in his thumb. So in a resting position, it measures a little bit smaller as opposed to when it's wrapped around the football. And that's the measurement they take of the combine. I mean, it's good Lord. You watch the guy play at college for however many years. Any of these prospects, if you don't have a sense, at least about what this guy's capable of, Breaking it down to a thumb measurement, it just seems absolutely ludicrous. That being said, I do think that guys can elevate themselves in the combine and they can solidify and entrench themselves as a top end draft pick by confirming a guy like Hamilton. Maybe he's a little bit quicker in the hips than we realized on tape by watching him. Maybe a player like Cross is a little bit stronger in that run game and the pulling ability and his flexibility, his shuttle, his shuttle times, right? His 40 times, all these little things, the cone drills for the offensive lineman. If he can show some of those, those abilities, then he can start to bring himself up the board a little bit and he can start to massage my mind into thinking maybe there's three top 10 offensive linemen outside of Linderbaum that the giants could look at here at the end of the day, as Andy Makowitz would say, you have to take a look at all of these players and all of these possibilities and wipe your mind of the idea that the giants need to do X. Andy and I have talked about this and I'll, and I'll even back off of what we had said about Hamilton going back to last week. Can we agree? There's no world where the giants should ever draft the safety in the top of the draft. We said, yes, we agree with that. That's more personal preference than reality though, because we have two weeks here, a little more before the free agency market hits. A lot of things are going to change. The Giants and Joe Shane are going to free up cap room. They're going to hopefully be able to sign a couple of key free agents that are going to shift what their needs are going to the draft. And then when you get there, the board is going to dictate what's possible for you. And while I, I, and I think Andy, look at a a safety position and say, one, we have Xavier McKinney, and we're certainly a fan of the young man. If you're trying to reset the timeline, and he's already going to be in year three now, so you're only one more year away, or you have to go into negotiating with him on a contract. Maybe the Giants want to avoid that. And also, what's the timeline for this team to succeed? And that goes both ways. Is Hamilton going to be here on the rise as the Giants are looking to win playoff games and win divisions? Or is he going to be playing on a rebuilding team over the next two or three seasons? And when it comes time to pay him big dollars, when you probably need him the most, when the Giants want to be winning playoff games, all of a sudden, 
you don't have the cap room anymore, or you have other pressing needs on the offensive line. So you're certainly playing in a little bit of a devil's bargain to be a better team in the short term while understanding all of the long-term ramifications. We'll be right back in tomorrow. We'll highlight some other positions here. If you want a deeper breakdown on some of these prospects, I'm going to be talking about an additional couple of scenarios for the New York football Giants at the top of the draft. You can check it out over on Substack, adamarmbreck.substack.com. Uh, I have one article up there already talking about the Giants wide receiver current position. Going to follow that up, looking at some free agent prospects that they could target. Also, inside of that swarth, and we'll we'll talk about this with Andy on here as well, is going to be an article about creating a little bit of a bidding war around one Saquon Barkley as we talk about trade destinations. So be sure to check that out. Be sure to head over to YouTube and follow us there. Subscribe to it. We're just about to crest over 300 subscribers. We've really seen a big surge in this offseason. We're going to keep pushing, keep driving the content, keep talking with us. Let me know what you think about all these possible scenarios. Are you disgusted by or in love with? any of these targets in the top of the draft that you're willing to go after. In the meantime, until next time, as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the people know, as always, let's go Big Blue. 